0: Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on
1: repeat. How are you, Courtney? I'm great. Do you know what? What? It's camellia season. Yay! My tree exploded yesterday.
0: Oh, fun. We used to
1: have a camellia tree in then it... It's dyed. my favorite. It's, it's so pretty.
0: Yeah.
1: It's too bad they don't have a gorgeous scent to accompany them. Yeah. But I'll take it. They're pretty gorgeous. Yep. And we had a little football game here. We did.
0: <laughs> Go Niners.
1: Well my husband, who is a San Francisco native, likes to complain that <laughs> while they're showing while they're airing the 49er football games. They're showing scenes from San Francisco,
0: oh, and the yeah. stadium
1: is an hour and a half-ish south. So he likes to criticize gently yeah. the uh, footage. That's true. They do always do that.
0: For international or non-sporty listeners, 49ers, are going to the Super Bowl. The Which
1: is a football game. Which is a
0: football game. <laughs> Very big.
1: Almost an American holiday. It is profoundly food driven. It is profoundly food driven. When you're watching it in the yes. home, there's menus and planning and
0: there's if that's your of,
1: thing. There's a lot of stuff. Well, the food part is fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Boy One has a regatta that day, so I'm not quite sure how that's all going to work.
1: Well, we'll make the chicken the chicken rule. Which oh, I think I've talked yeah, about on the past. That from last year. It's like shredded chicken yeah. with cream cheese and Frank's red hot sauce. That sounds appropriate. Green onions. Hmm. And what is the dough? It's like. Um, Crescent roll dough mm-hmm, or something? Exactly. Oh,
0: delicious. So bad.
1: But good. All right. Enough of all that. <laughs>
0: On to the episode. So we have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. We'll do a little giveaway update. And in on the table, we will be doing our Tuesday nights, Milk Street Tuesday nights cookbook review. So, and I have a little cold, so I apologize for a less than ideal vocal sound from me. Um, So on the needles, when last we spoke, I had just finished up all of my holiday hats, and the hat for me, and was pondering what I would do next, so I cast on another hat, (laughs) as one does. This one is the 103 Hat by Jennifer Lassonde, who is Boston Gen, Downseller Studio podcast, and she released this one in December as part of a designer a day, month, and... I think I figured it was all the proceeds or like 50% of the proceeds from the first day of this pattern went to a charity of her choice. So it was a very cute hat and I knew that I wanted to be knitting hats for charity. So it seemed a good combo. Yeah. Yeah. So I cast this one on and I used the American Robin, which is the orange and white mixed one that I used in the tiger hat for my nephew. Because I still had a lot of it left. And I still have quite a bit of it left. Um, But I used up at least another half a skein. It's about 55 grams. Um, And it's a DK weight yarn. It's a really cute pattern. Got some twisted stitches and kind of a broken rib thing going. Um, So pretty easy and mindless to knit. Finished that up, adding it to my charity bin. So I was pretty pleased with that. Super. Um, It wasn't quite mindless enough to take to meetings and whatnot so i also cast on a new pair of socks for me uh, vanilla is the new black by anna fletcher which is a pattern that i've done before and works really well with self-striping yarn which is the yarn that i'm using it is from white birch fiber arts her eighty twenty sock and the colorway is Hellbent feminist she-devil which <laughs> i thought was an awesome name and probably well it's lovely colorway it's like a light pink and a dark pink, and a medium pink, and then a bunch of blue greys. So anyway, I really liked it. And, I love um,
1: those colors. That's great.
0: Yeah, like so I'm ba- excited about berries. That. And I had a meeting and children's musical that was not my own child's, so I got a good bit done. But now, the fun part of this is the way she does the heel construction, and it and it keeps the stripes going. But it's not the typical heel that I usually do, so I need to. Sit down and set that up and get it started before I can take it out in the world again because it's a little too complicated to do it's a new without te- new looking te- at the pattern. And yeah, it's a new technique, exactly. Excellent. Um, so that was fun. And then, since I had finished the hat, I needed to well, first, I did a little bit more work on my Elton cardigan. I decided to keep pushing forward with that. And I got a few more rows done and I looked at it, and it actually felt like I had made progress. So I feel more inspired now. And I think it's it's not a long length, it's, it's a little bit cropped, not like 80s super crop <laughs> or you know teen girl super crop, but um, so it, it doesn't have to be a really long cardigan. So I feel like I'm definitely making progress on that. I'm gonna push forward. I love to have it finished by the Super Bowl so I can enter it into the pigskin party knit along that I'm doing. And get all the points for that you get extra points for doing a big yardage project like that so that's kind of my goal we'll see what happens I was I've, as I said been sick, so I've been watching a lot of tv and that kind of helps with that <laughs> and then also the interception for this month on the knit along is to knit with yarn that is not wool doesn't have wool in it and I when I was in Alaska last year bought Quipiate yarn which is Not wool, because it's from the muskox. So I thought this would be a good time to break that out. The yarn came with a free pattern for a basic scarf. And I didn't love the lace pattern. It's fine. But I realized I had an entire book of stitch... You know, I have a stitch dictionary. So I went through and I found one in there that I liked a little better. And it was called the Fur Cone Lace Pattern. So it also seemed... Fitting for the yarn. Yeah, because it was from Alaska. Although the yarn is in a raspberry color way and not really green, but whatever. So I started that. Um, so I'm now doing two lace weight projects in kind of a cranberry color, <laughs> which is a little bit odd, and you know doesn't give a ton of variety, but they're both pretty good knitting while watching TV projects, so. Cool. And lovely yarn, very soft and, and squishy. And I don't remember if I talked about this before, but Quiviet is.
1: No, is because that?
0: this kind of thing fascinates me. Oh, so, so it's the yarn of the muskox that roams the Canadian tundra.
1: And these guys and it, are not tiny. No,
0: they're not. And I think, and I might be making this up, but I believe, like, they shed their... It's the yarn from their undercoat, so it's super soft, super lightweight, but really, really warm. And they, I think they just shed it or it catches on branches or something, or, you know, plants, and they go around and collect it. So it's really labor-intensive. And then turn it into yarn. Like, people go around and collect it. The muskops
1: don't collect their own. Right. And he doesn't look like the kind of creature who would allow you to comb it off of him yes i mean it's an ox yeah fuzzy (laughs) but yeah exactly so so that's pretty fun Uh, cool excited to finally be working with that so speaking of yarn from elsewhere Mm -hmm. i'm still working on the netherlands for my lemon latitude project and i thought for all of you yarn folks that i would make a fair attempt to see what kind of yarn is available if available from each place that I do some research on thank you so the first thing that came up was a place called Stephen and Penelope in Amsterdam and our Dutch listeners I think will probably have heard of that you you seem to think that they do their own line of yarn huh I wasn't... So- I
0: could be wrong. I think he's a designer. Oh, excellent. So maybe they do partnerships. I see. With other... With dyers. A lot of times they'll do that.
1: Um, and then I found another brand called Sheeptis. I think that's how you pronounce it. If I understand it correctly, they're part of a consortium. So they pull all of their yarn together and it might not be strictly Dutch. You know what yeah, I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it might... A little bit of Flemish... Maybe some French, I don't know. So I guess their labels have different country of origins on it. Oh. Cool. But the consortium may be based out of the Netherlands. I'm not totally sure. However, when I saw them online, their skeins—they have a huge variety and really beautiful colors. And hmm. so it's a worth—it's it. worth checking out if nothing else. Cool.
0: I like it. Not that I need more yarn, but
1: well some (laughs) someone out there does somebody probably does
0: all right yeah I think yep that is
1: all my knitting excellent okay what is on the easel well I have taken one giant swan dive into this project and I am super happy and I was saying to my husband I am so happy I love this project I'm just super motivated and all I want to do is just this forever And he said, can you record yourself saying that so that when you get sick of the project, you remember why you're so passionate about it? Which... If only we had a podcast. I know. (laughs) There, it's Uh done. Check. But I do think that he's not wrong. Because when I embark on these, I've I've taken on bigger projects before. And one thing that I have done is make myself a list of reasons why. When I do start to flounder, I can go back to that original intention and either set course again or change course a little bit and figure out why why it's not quite working.
0: So. I like I think though that you might it might be easier because you're doing different kinds. This is not strictly an art project. You've also got the food, you've got the books, so you've got a lot of different components. Yeah. So if you don't feel like painting the country or city or whatever it is, the place, then you can
1: cook, jump food. into, yeah. yeah. I agree. And it's also not birds around the world. I have left it very open-ended for myself right. so that I can sort of follow my creativity and or my, more my curiosity and see what's really, in fact, while I'm trying to think of which project I want to do next, it's not, what do I want to paint? It's, what do we want to cook You know, Uh, so that feels kind of interesting. The past two weeks have been the Netherlands, and I have painted art supplies and a city scene, some pantry items, and drew a map. I have plans for I don't know maybe four or five more pieces from the Netherlands. I'm getting great feedback from Dutch Instagram. Friends who are who know about the project I wish there was a a way to cast a little bit wider net to hear back from people because that is so fun, Mm -hmm. you know Especially when I get something wrong (laughs) and I don't mind being I don't ever mind being wrong. I mean maybe consistently that would be a bummer, (laughs) but I Don't mind being corrected. I guess I should say so I have a few more plans for some more dutch scenes a couple portraits something postal i don't know how to wrap Hmm. that in yet and then something for the christmas project which i don't think i talked about but i'm trying to decide if i'm going to keep that a secret
0: okay you had mentioned that you had an idea for it but you had not
1: talked much more about it which is fine it is i can't decide it's (laughs) anywhere and it's exactly one place into this endless places project yeah but it feels pretty good and I'm doing, I'm pushing myself to make different kinds of compositions like the scene of there's a, um, a canal house in Amsterdam and I painted a windmill on it like a mural. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. And I did that because it felt a little bit expected to just print a canal house and a little bit expected to paint a windmill. Right. And I was trying to think about what I like to do when I visit a city, and it's often fun to see what's if there are murals or if there's graffiti. Or when we were in Rome, or sorry, in um, Florence, there were these funny posters that people had pasted up all over the city of famous paintings from the museum. That they had put like scuba goggles on, you oh. know, like really tongue in cheek. Not that that is in the same vein as that this mashup, but just pushing myself to do a little bit different. Yeah. So that part feels great. Yeah, no complaints. I'm very happy to do this deep dive, and and I'll talk more about it in food and books. Cool. Are you still taking submissions? Yes, I am. I have um, an online portal for submissions at CourtneySpillane.com. And that's Courtney, no you. And if you go there, it's an online Google form and you can enter 100 million things. There's no limit. Cool. And then if you are interested in submit or receiving and submitting a real piece of mail, then you can reach out to us either on the Instagram direct messages through the podcast or through my Instagram messages. Or where where have other people gone? The Gmail, the Craft cook read at
0: gmail.com. dot Can I monitor that and forward it,
1: to Courtney? Yes, yeah, she's very good at that. I try, and I guess
0: now you could reach out to us on our Ravelry group as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And we, speaking of. We had a great conversation on the Ravelry group about art the other day.
0: Yeah. So Online I love that it's, and,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's not just yarn, although yarn is awesome. Yes.
0: <laughs> it is a, a knitting-based website, but we do talk about all our all our yeah. segments. All right. Uh, on the table, I have a few things other than Tuesday night that I wanted to hit quickly. I did a cauliflower steak and citrus salad That was pretty good.
1: You just, it kind of, well, no, you said your Christmas cauliflower is whole cooked and then you, then you slice bri- it. I brine it. Yeah. So it's basically cooked in brine first and then it's roasted under the broiler. Okay. Yeah. What this did was you do to yours? Totally different, but <laughs> cauliflower in big hunks, you
0: slice the the heads into steaks, steaks basically, and then um, there was kind of a chipotle spice mix that you make and you rub on there. And you hand fry them a little bit on each side to start the cooking process and then roast them. And then I used the same spice mix on some chicken thighs and roasted those as well for the boys. Um, I didn't, wasn't quite sure how filling the cauliflower would be and how much they would want to just eat cauliflower. So, But it was pretty delicious. The spice mix was really nice and the citrus salad was a good side dish. Is the cauliflower filling Yeah, enough? It I is? think so. Or someone found it to be. I think I had like a piece of chicken with it. Mm. It just didn't... Yeah, it just didn't feel like there was that much of it. Because you... I mean, I cut them in fairly thick steaks so they wouldn't all fall apart. Right. But it was pretty quick and easy. And, and that was a recipe from the Wimpy Vegetarian. And then I pulled out the Instant Pot again <gasps> and made risotto. Ooh. Which... It probably took about half an hour total, which is about what regular risotto Mm -hmm. takes, but much less fussy, and you don't have to stand there and stir everything.
1: And it was really cool because... R2-D2 stirs it for you? You don't have to stir it. You just put it in there. (laughs) does its thing. And it breaks down and gets creamy like risotto? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then you add... So you add it, and then you keep some of the vegetable broth, or I guess you could use water or whatever, um, and add it at the end to kind of finish it and make sure, if it wasn't creamy enough. Mm-hmm. Or to your liking. And you add the parmesan at the end. And there's a saute function on it as well to saute the onions and get the rice going in oil. And that thing heated up really fast and sauteed the heck out of them. So Super. Well, that, that is was a pot saver right there. That was, yeah. So it was really all in one thing. Yeah, you didn't have a separate pot with the hot broth and and it heated up. So now I'm kind of timing how long it takes various things to heat up. And this took, I think, six minutes to come up to pressure. And then it was four minutes of cooking. And then the longest part was the eight minutes of releasing the pressure. So Wow. Yeah. And then you add peas and put the lid back on to cook them because they were frozen. So it worked out really well. I would say it wasn't really enough for a meal for four people, even though I added some vegan gluten-free chorizo from Trader Joe's. So I might try doubling it and see how that works. I don't know quite how it affects the time I double everything these days. Yeah, and I knew, and I really knew better, but I figured it was better to stick with the recipe for the first time Mm -hmm. because I had the sausage as well, and all of us have the plague, so, or 75% (laughs) of us have the plague, so we're not eating a ton at this moment anyway. Everybody went back for seconds for a little you know, there was a little bit left. And I made butterscotch pudding from Smitten Kitchen. Yum! Which was delicious. I think I did something wrong, or I just didn't wait long enough for the sugar to melt because it never really melted which I thought was odd and I finally got tired and it looked like it was burning like all right we're going to add in the cornstarch and the milk and see what happens
1: and it worked so and the consistency was correct yeah okay
0: yeah it looked it was weird because when I first put in the milk it looked like there were little crunchy bits of sugar that had just sort of hardened but by the time I finished stirring it it was fine hmm. and then it was delicious yum homemade pudding is really quite an amazing thing
1: Okay. How about you? Anything? I have a couple quickies, too, before... Well, maybe just one. Um, So, for that little football game that just happened... Yep. My husband requested lamb stew. And if you know me, you know I don't eat lamb. No, you don't. I don't care for it is the absolute nicest way for me (laughs) to say it. However...
0: That's such an interesting
1: choice. Well... We had gone to Onsen, the Japanese place, and they had kind of like a lamb yakitori on the Mm. little skewers, Mm -hmm. and it was perfect, and I actually ate a cube just to see. Wow. Well, because you're at this beautiful place, and... You never know. You never know, and it didn't taste lamby at all, and I loved it. I will even admit that I ate my whole skewer. Wow. And... didn't didn't feel bad about it. Courtney, 2020. I know. So I wasn't wasn't against lamb stew, but I didn't know that I was quite ready to make this. But anyway, he went and picked up lamb, and I put together a lamb stew from a recipe. I do beef stew off the top of my head on occasion, and And it always comes out great. And sometimes I'll do it with juniper berries or I'll do it with different vegetables, but I feel pretty comfortable riffing on beef stew. This one I stuck to the recipe because lamb is its own, literally its own animal. I don't know if you knew that, but. Oh, it is? Wow. (laughs) And it has a particular flavor profile that intimidates me. Hmm. So I followed the recipe. And I had sautéed the lamb in a in my Dutch oven on the stovetop, and I had all of the sautéed meat in a in a dish while I was doing all the vegetables. And my teenager came through and stole a couple pieces of it, and I didn't tell him it was lamb because we just don't eat a lot of it, and he loved it, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then um, made the whole stew and everybody loved it, the boys ate it. My husband you? was thrilled. I ate a little tiny portion yeah. of it and I I wasn't crazy about it. And my husband said it's because I, I cut the lamb into two small pieces and therefore there was more surface area and therefore it was more mm-hmm. lamby. Interesting <sighs> theory. Interesting theory. So I'm st- I'm back to square one. It's a pretty healthy alternative for a meat. And you know, we, we are not a big red meat household, so this seemed like a, a good experiment. It's a good experiment for me to not eat the main course is what it is. So that was lamb stew. And then I made, I bought some more Gouda cheeses. Oh. For us to sample, some triple cream. And I have been watching how Gouda is made. Mm. And over there, it's pronounced howda, which is fun. And, you know, I'm going to be fluent by the end of this. You are. (laughs) If only. I also, last night, made the Gvalde Koken, which are almond paste cookies. Early on in the project, I made some Dutch chocolate cookies with the white chocolate center. And I gave you one of those last time we recorded and you talked about that last time. And a friendly Dutch person said, I don't know that that's exactly Dutch. I've never really heard of it before. It came from a bakery in Amsterdam, but that doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah, that just be their thing.
1: Right. So I redoubled my efforts to find a more traditional Dutch sweet, much to the chagrin of my household, as you can imagine. So upsetting. And I found, I'm pretty upset
0: about
1: it, too. I found, in, in some of my research, I found this set of postage stamps from 2017 that featured like 10 different entrees, or not entrees, but um, like typical foodstuffs from all over the Netherlands. Hmm. So the Gevel de Koken are basically shortbread bottom with a little scoop or maybe like a teaspoonful of almond paste in the center and then it's topped with another round of the shortbread and you press it together in a little egg wash and they are a slow bake. It takes like twenty two minutes for them to bake. Oh. I think it's because of the shortbread. Shortbread takes yeah. longer. They were excellent. They were total delicious. Like I said, maybe a pinch of salt to that recipe. I'm going to look at other recipes and see what they recommend. But bravo, the Netherlands, for this cookie. We loved it. I also have realized that now I've got a little collection happening of recipes. Mm -hmm. So I need a home for those. But the rest, the rest of my cooking has come from Tuesday nights.
0: Nice. Let's talk about that.
1: So this is from Christopher
0: Kimball and... Do you know what Milk Street is?
1: Milk Street was his offshoot from America's Test Kitchen. Okay. So it is a real street in Boston, and that's where their outfit oh. is housed. Christopher Kimball is the chief chef. Chef chief? Chef-chef? <laughs> Chef-chef. <laughs> and he he mans this ship with his bow tie. And yeah. I have another Milk Street cookbook that I'm quite fond of and cook from a fair bit. We chose this one. Because it has a huge variety of recipes, many of which are meat free. Yes. They're vegetarian. Yep. It's got a pretty wide spice profile, flavor profile. Yes. And they are relatively speedy recipes.
0: This is a big book. There are 393 pages, and there's a little bit of an introduction at the beginning. So then it gets right into the recipes and the first section or first three sections are fast, faster, and fastest and fast is under 45 minutes Which you know, that is fast. It's pretty fast and then it's like 30 and Forget how fast fastest is but they're and they're they're pretty accurate as far as the timing Um, and then they have like a side section supper salads pizza one pot Although I would argue that most of their recipes are fairly, if not one pot, at least one dish.
1: That's my favorite.
0: With everything. The one pot. Uh, roast and simmer, and then a dessert section, which I don't think I got into that one. Although there was only I was, one. I was looking through it. Yeah. I say my only issue is the one pot nature of the whole thing, which if you are on a special diet, makes it tricky to change things around. It can be done, but like a vegetarian pasta dish is more complicated or you know a pasta with a meat sauce or whatever chicken pot pie something like that so but digging through there were definitely enough things in there that I could pull out and make for the whole family and then Simon is still traveling a fair bit so I could make some of the other meat-based ones for the boys and I when he was out of town yeah and I must have made about 10 or so recipes and I know there were more that I wanted to make and just didn't get around to. Yeah, lots
1: of flavor, clear directions, great directions, nice pictures. And I learned pretty quickly to just stick with his recommendation. He's not going to smoke you out in terms of heat profile. And I'm a little timid there. And there were, there are some times when I backed off that and shouldn't have. But that's, I, I made specific notes for each one about that. Yeah. So I know we both did the turkey
0: burgers because she had recommended that one. And so I made it last week for the boys. Those were really good. Those Very moist. were
1: amazing.
0: Although my butcher didn't have dark meat turkey, so I went with dark meat chicken, which worked. And for some reason, I was out of scallions. so
1: I did it with white meat turkey mm-hmm. both times that I made it. I've made it twice. This is a Parmesan and herb turkey burger. Lots of herb, yeah. Um, it's got mayonnaise in it, so if that. Oh, yeah, and a lot of mayonnaise. If that bugs you, then I don't know what a good alternative to mayonnaise is. It's probably to. vegan mayonnaise.
0: But, I mean, it definitely made it moist. And then it's served with a yogurt and herb sauce. And we, they were really good. We
1: loved the yogurt and herb sauce. Yep. It also calls for. I mean, it's mostly turkey, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But there's a fair bit of mayonnaise and then. A little bit of breadcrumbs and some Parmesan cheese, and that's the crux of the burger.
0: Yeah, and there's some herbs in there, right?
1: Oh yeah, lots of herbs. Was there
0: mint and it was yeah, so it was a little bit different. Definitely cilantro, scallion. Change from your usual usual burger. Mm -hmm. Everybody very moist. Yeah,
1: everybody loved it. I served it on some really beautiful fresh brioche buns that I found at the market. And I never get stuff like that, so my kids were like, "Oh my gosh, it's burger night!" They were thrilled. Yeah, I just served it on regular toast. (laughs) It worked out fine. It was still delicious. Yeah, so that was super. That it is my favorite across the board family recipe for from the whole book. Wow! I also served it with the Turkish red lentil soup one night, and this is this is a really lovely, simple lentil soup. You can kick it up a notch with some Aleppo pepper, which I'm now the proud owner of. Oh, nice. It has two tablespoons of white rice added in, which is just enough to sort of make it creamy. Yeah. And that that was awesome. It's a good trick. I think that's a great trick for lentils. And this also you can serve with mint on top and i think that's what drew me to it is is it felt like a complementary flavor profile to the turkey burger i made the turkey burgers on the small side and then with a little cup of lentil soup was super filling oh yeah so that was that was a good pairing
0: a big family hit for us that i was not expecting to be this well received was the tortilla española which um, has potatoes and eggplant in kind of an egg frittata. I saw that one. Yeah. Everybody loved it. I forget what I served it with. I feel like probably I threw some sausage on there for salad. So again, it makes it in a 12-inch skillet.
1: Probably could have used a little
0: more. But the potatoes and the eggplant make it, and all the eggs make it pretty filling. And everyone really liked that, which was a little bit surprising. But I mean, potatoes and eggs, I can see the eggplant, was a little different, but so that was good. Great. Yeah. And we both did the cider braised lentils. The cider braised lentils. Which we talked about last time, so we don't need to discuss that problem again. That was my foray into the cookbook. I did the soupy rice with chicken, which also has bok choy and mushrooms. Great. And that was, um, I think maybe I didn't put enough spice in there. I think I backed off a little bit, and that was a mistake. It was more comforting and relaxing. Could have used a little little more of a kick, but that was me. Um, I think the only one I really had problems with was the soy steamed Japanese rice, which is very interesting. You cook the rice, you start off cooking the rice, and then you add the vegetables to the top and put the lid back on, and they're supposed to steam and cook through. And it just took much longer for them to cook than the mm-hmm. recipe said it would. So that was a little disappointing, but the flavor was good on that. just took longer than... Expected.
1: Hmm. I wonder why. I did a similar technique last night with the Indian spiced beef and peas. Hmm. Where you, you saute the tomatoes and onions and spices and garlic and ginger. You kind of get all of your flavor ready. And then you add the beef on top, but you don't raw beef on top. Of this mixture and then cover it and leave it and he says to salt it and then leave it Mm. um, which just felt all kinds of wrong (laughs) it felt wrong however that that was like the 12th recipe I had cooked out of this cookbook just last night and I decided I'm gonna trust him on this because he hasn't really steered me wrong so I left it for the allotted time and I came back and it was cooked Oh. And then you add in the peas and sort of finish it off with uh, whole milk yogurt and fresh cilantro. This recipe is like, a, it's an Indian, it's called Kima Matar, I think, which is often made with ground lamb, but... <laughs> I'll just try it with the lamb next time. No, thanks. That's Think about the surface area there. Yeah. <laughs> um, my plan for this was to... Appease one of my kids who loves shepherd's pie. Mm. So, oh yeah, and it was so flavorful. And with it, I made the yogurt flatbreads. You made them. Uh huh. Wow. It's in the book. Oh, aren't you fancy? No, it's just right here for us. So yogurt. I don't do a lot of bread making. Oh, that's true. Sorry, I'll cover the gluten. Yes. The yogurt flatbreads are really easy unleavened bread dough uh, with bread flour, salt, baking powder, yogurt, and honey. comes together really easily. It call- This says it makes six, and I made them a little bit smaller because I wasn't sure about it. And then I just brushed like a garlic herb butter on top of them after I had cooked them off in the pan. I served them with the Indian beef and peas, and I made my husband one of the soups. Wow. I did the creamy fennel and bean soup, which was delicious. Was it fennel-y? No, it doesn't call for that much fennel.
0: Because I'm not a big fennel fan, and I made the white beans with sage and fennel, and I was a little bit worried, but the fennel flavor just blended
1: perfectly with everything else. It was really good. I agree. I don't love licorice fennel flavor either, and this called for... Fennel seed that I ground in a mortar mm-hmm. and pestle. I know I went the distance. Monica's made made a <laughs> face at me. Um, That's one of those things where I'm like, and eh, do I really need to make yeah. this? No. I figured though it was my last it was my last go at this sure. cookbook for for today. And then once everything is going in the soup, it calls for two onions, lots of white beans, all the herbs and spices. And then you hold back on some of the beans and puree like a giant portion of it Mm, so that it's got a really creamy base. And then you add in the rest of the beans and let them heat. My husband said it could have used a kick of something. And I forget if it called for... Oh, I know what what I was missing here. It called for bacon in the very beginning. So you start the soup off Mm. in... You you start off bacon, pull it out, and use the rendered bacon fat as your base. Yes. So I can see why it lacked a little bit of depth. So you didn't do that. I didn't do that. That was my skip. Anyhow, it was delicious. Nice. And maybe a little bit cleaner because it didn't have bacon in it. Yeah, this is true. I did the chickpea and yogurt soup, which I remember
0: liking. It wasn't as amazing as some of the other recipes that we had, but delicious and very simple. Good. So, simple is always and, good. And chickpeas are, are delicious, so that was good. I think oh, and then I did do the pasta with brown butter, which is not at all a descriptive name <laughs> for it. It does include pasta and brown butter, so in that in that sense it's good. But it also has sumac, tomato paste, mint, and yogurt. And Yum. various ways in which you combine these and then you top it all with I think the brown butter sauce and yeah so that was that was pretty delicious and I mean you know there's plenty of tomato sauces out there but the other flavors the sumac is such a great spice that so, I found a couple of years ago since then I've seen it in more recipes and yeah. try to incorporate it because it is a really nice different so, flavor
1: sumac in my lexicon means like poison sumac, which is that big red branchy thing that blooms in the summertime in North America, and it gives you an incredible itchy rash. I think this is different. Um, it belongs to the... I did some research. Yes. It belongs to the same family, and it this one, the spice, derives from the Middle East, and it is used as a pickling agent, oh. which is why it has that sort of lemony... Mm-hmm. pickle flavor and it is not at all rash inducing and i am a huge new convert and i'm so glad that i took the not risk but that adventure you know that spice adventure and you'll be ready when you get to your middle eastern yes project countries what did i make with the sumac though oh i think it was the toasted pearl couscous with fried egg That has sumac on top as a finishing, Mm. I think a finishing spice. So this is a really flavorful couscous dish and you get everything started in a pan, kind of like risotto, Mm -hmm. and let the couscous, you know, the dried couscous absorb some of the oils and spices Mm -hmm. and then you add your stock to it. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. We served it with eggs. The The kids liked it. I made the mistake. I felt like it needed a vegetable and I only had broccoli and I served it with broccoli and that was the wrong texture. Mm. Spinach would have been way better. I don't know that the Thai stir-fried one would have been the right flavors for this either, but there's a Thai stir-fried spinach recipe in here that I made with one of the chickens. I have a real problem with spinach. I love spinach. I can easily eat A whole box or a whole bag or two heads on my own. It just, where does it go? Where does spinach go? It just totally evaporates. It does. And I had made it for six that night, and it was just the tiniest portions. Yeah. It's disappointing. But anyway, we also made the crispy Szechuan chili chicken, which is an explosion of flavor. And instead of dredging your chicken pieces in flour, it calls for cornstarch, and it just made for a great texture, very crispy texture on the outside of this chicken. Great flavors in this. We were a little and bit... not too spicy? Um, not spicy enough. Oh. Yeah, my guys could have handled just a notch more. Also made the seared salmon with avocado sauce. Seared salmon, very straightforward, but the avocado sauce is delicious. Great accompaniment. It also, that recipe also has a tomato cilantro salsa and all three together, like the gorgeous fatty fish and then this bright avocado creamy sauce and then some tart tomatoes and cilantro. You know, it was just a really nice pairing.
0: Yeah, I think that was the thing I really liked about this is that there were kind of different flavors, not completely out there, but Mm -hmm. maybe something that felt, like something you knew but there was something different Mm -hmm. the turkey burgers but they've got all the mint and the yogurt and the just a little little different one different herb or one different spice and
1: yeah and it transformed it yeah do you have any others that you wanted to talk about no i I I did did um i did the
0: ginger ginger soy steak with pear cucumber salad the pear cucumber salad was kind of a cool combo that i would definitely never have thought of and we or in pear season, I think, or it keeps coming up in my produce box, so I keep having them. So nice little easy thing, and you could obviously serve it with any any entree that you wanted. Great, one of those little back pocket recipes to yeah to keep in mind.
1: I also made the cilantro dill bean and noodle soup, which is another great back pocket recipe because I had everything in the pantry one day. Oh wow! So that came together really beautifully. It's um it's an Iranian Persian recipe. And it calls for chickpeas and kidney beans and red lentils and just a handful of noodles. Not a lot. Like to give you an example, two ounces of linguine broken into one inch pieces. My kids loved this. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Nice. So win there. And then lastly from our house, the zatar roasted chicken.
0: Oh, that's another good.
1: And I have to say, I didn't bring it over here. Originally, when we decided we were going to do the big project from this book, I handed it to my husband and said, Hey, can you look through this and let me know if there's anything in here that you want me to cook? And as Monica said, there's got to be 150 recipes in here. He filled a double-sided sheet of all of the things that he wanted to try. And this... Zatar roasted chicken was one of them. And because he wrote it down, the next time he went to the grocery store, he saw Zatar seasoning and just picked it up. Nice. Which... What a good guy. Was like... That's like bringing me flowers. Yeah. To bring home a spice. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so um. So now we have a jar of Zatar seasoning. And it was great. So easy to add. The, the roasted chicken came out perfect with it. So... All in all, it's been, I don't know, six or seven weeks of cooking out of this. And what a a totally solid cookbook. And there's still a few more that I want to to try.
0: Yeah, I've had mine out. My library, our our library now will automatically renew things for you if nobody is waiting. And so it's renewed this one. I think I am finally used up all of my renewals. So I've had it since November, I think. Yeah. So definitely given it a, a work through.
1: Yeah, so, thanks,
0: public library. So, yeah, I would say, like, definitely, if you're looking to shake up your routine, there's definitely weeknight accessible recipes. Oh, yeah.
1: Most of mine came from this one pot oh, section. I noticed that when I was m- building my big list. But, again, the, the absolute win was the turkey burger. Those were delicious, yeah. For, from my house. Yeah. So
0: many good things. So I definitely definitely say give it a try and see what you think. And if you have, let us know in the Instagram post for this episode or the Ravelry thread for this episode in our Ravelry group. And if that is it, we'll move to On the Nightstand. What have I been reading? I finished Queen of the Conquered by Kacen Callender. So this one takes place in a Caribbean island-inspired world where the islanders have been colonized by Scandinavian-esque people from the north, <laughs> Vikings. Basically, I mean they're not. It's more modern, or it's 1800s kind of, but they're the names are all the names of the colonizers are all very Scandinavian-sounding, and and they have enslaved all of the native people. There is magic, but only the ruling classes are allowed to have magic so if any of the native people are found to possess the craft which is what they call it they are immediately killed so it is not in that way a happy book there's some pretty dark descriptions of slavery our heroine is from a native family but her ancestors bought themselves free and they've actually become one of the leading families of the island which kind of puts her in an awkward awkward That's not the right word for it. You know what I mean? Position, because the rest of the ruling classes obviously look down on her and think there's no, no way she should be one of us. And to be one of the leading families, she is now a slave owner and does things to her own people that obviously don't make them think very fondly of her. Her own family was murdered when she was a little girl. She was the only one to survive and she's vowed revenge and that is why she is continuing to be one of or trying to be one of the powerful people. The current king of the islands is dying, calls all the leading nobles to the island to name his next, to name the next ruler, and her plan is to become the next ruler and free her people. So that's the the setup for the book and it goes on from there. So there's a little bit of magic, there's a lot of her history, um the history of the other families, it all works together there's you know kind of adventures and near escapes and and then it turns out there's another book (laughs) so (laughs) um so that was a little frustrating i loved the plot i loved the characters i loved the setup i love the world i mean you know it's a dark depressing world but the author does a really good job of creating it envisioning it the writing did not really live up to all of the rest of it um it was a little choppy in places and not not the best, most flowing story, but still a really imaginative and thought-provoking story because, you know, she's, she's doing these things for the greater good, but can you do horrible things and have it turn out okay at the end? Does that count? So, um, that was Queen of the Conquered by Kacen Calendar. Hello, listeners. Monica, the editor, here. I was very disappointed in my word choice for the review I just did, so I wanted to take a moment and restate a few things. The author's description of slavery on the island is very realistic, and therefore depressing and hard to read, as it should be, but it is also accurate and an important part of the story as she tells it, and I just wanted to make that clear. And then I read The Guinevere Deception by Kirsten White, which was a young adult, and a retelling of the Arthur in Legends, where Guinevere is secretly a spy sent to protect Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of fun, you know, where Guinevere is kind of a kick-ass woman in her own right. And other than that, it's the fairly, you know, generic. There's Merlin, there's the nephew, there's Morgan Le Fay, you know, all the, all the standard characters are there. Um, you know, you get a little different twist since it is more of a Guinevere being the heroine series. And this one is the first of a couple books So it was definitely in a series Kind of place Which I wasn't super thrilled about Again Uh, After a while Well, yeah, because after a while It's like, I just want a book That's going to be self-contained Standalone, yeah Yeah, and I can just get in with those characters And then get out Anyway, I did get there eventually Not with my next book Which was The Wedding Party by Jasmine Guillory Although this one is more of a standalone So it's romance It's, I think, her third book So, you get to see the characters from her first two books, but have, you know, they're not, you don't necessarily have to have read the other two books. But, you know, since I had, it was like, oh, there they are again. It's so nice to see them again. I'm so pleased. But you had this whole other story. So, this one is uh, these two people are both good friends of the heroine from the first book, uh, but they hate each other. But they end up hooking up after his birthday party through a series of things and they're like, wow, that was really great, but we still don't really like each other, um, but this was really good, let's keep doing this and just not tell anybody, and we're only gonna do it until our friend's wedding. Because we're they're, they're both in the wedding party, so they're like, we're gonna have oh. to see each other a lot anyways, we'll have great sex, and then, but not tell anybody, and then we'll be done and we'll get it out of our systems. <laughs> Obviously it doesn't go according to plan, but you know, really fun, pretty steamy. Jasmine Guillory, really like her romances. And then finally I got to a standalone book, <laughs> The Other Windsor Girl by Georgie Blaylock which is about uh, Princess Margaret's lady-in-waiting, and it's fictional, loosely. I mean, it's based on actual events, blah, 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 but this person is made up. A lot of the characters are made up. Some of them are based on real people but aren't in actual events. Anyway, so she is, she is a minor nobility. Her parents, it's right after World War II, her parents... Basically lost all their money but refused to do anything about it because they're nobility and they don't work. So she is trying to be a writer and hopes to get to New York and start her own life. And she ends up meeting Princess Margaret, who thinks she's really awesome and ends up inviting her to be part of her social set and then to be her lady-in-waiting, which is a really great opportunity. She gets to meet a lot of people. She has a lot of you know power because she has direct access to the princess. Mm-hmm. So she decides to take the job, and it kind of goes on from there. And it's about 10 years in her life. So it was amusing. You get lots of glamorous upper-class parties and royal balls. And... But at the same time, she is giving up her dreams of being a writer. She's giving up the guy she loves. And she sort of knows it's not going to last, but keeps making deals with herself. And I, you know, at the end, I didn't feel like she really learned anything or oh. grew in any way princess margaret ends up firing her like she has a temper tantrum and fires her and she's like oh my gosh what am i gonna do she's like oh okay i'll move to new york now and you can kind of see that coming i'm not i don't feel like i'm giving anything away you know if she had made the decision on her own to leave then it would have felt like empowering she had done something but no she just kept drifting along until because she liked all the glamour and the parties and Mm -hmm. the the power so but amusing you know (laughs) princess parties are kind of fun to read about Um, And then I listened to The Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth, which was uh, Anne Bogle's, one of her top audiobooks from last year that she listened to. So it was available at the library, so I put that on. And it's a murder mystery. Lucy's mother-in-law is found dead. And it initially looks like it's a suicide, but then the police think maybe not. And it kind of goes back and forth between through the history of Lucy and her mother-in-law. So, switching be- between their points of view in the present, well, Lucy's point of view in the present, and her and her mother-in-law's points of view in the past, so you get their full story, and what happened, and, you know, who was the murderer, and was there a murder, and what was going on, and, yeah, so it was pretty, it was kind of like a beach read or a beach listen, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, I and think it's the audio- Australian, so the... Oh, fun. Another fun accent.
1: I think the audiobooks need to be more plot-driven for me than... Yes.
0: They can't be anything that I need to go back and reread and think about too much. Because, yeah, especially I'm usually doing other things like laundry or walking the dog. And I can put enough attention on it, but I can't be fully focused on nuances. So I agree. So this was a good one. Great. And then I just finished Sword of Kings by Bernard Cornwell, which, Thor help me, is the 12th book in this series. (laughs) So apparently I am fully invested in this one. Um, this is the founding of England, starts off, the main hero, through all the books, is Uhtred of Bebenberg, and there is a TV show, I think has three or four series now, uh, seasons, based on this, and he is an uh, English lord in the late 800s, early 900s, Alfred the Great. This particular book, Alfred's been dead for a couple books, his son is now dying, and Uhtred had made a vow to kill, let me back up. Edward has two sons. Well, he has a lot of sons. There's two main sons. His two oldest sons have different mothers, and Uhtred has sworn to protect the oldest son, who is like 25 and a fabulous warrior, and really doesn't need protecting. But whatever, he made the oath a while ago, so now that Edward is dying, <laughs> he's like going- personally offended. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it's a very straight. Uh, anyway, I don't. Rem- I know he made the oath in the previous book, but it's it's a fairly quick read, so I don't read a lot of the details. Anyway, I'm sure it made sense as an oath at the time. Now, not so much. And that's what everyone's telling me. They're like, I think, I think Ethelstan's got this. You don't really need to be involved. But he gets involved, planning to kill the second son and his maternal uncle, who is evil. They're both evil. And like, obviously the second son is a useless, evil child, who's like 17 or something. Anyway, so he gets involved. There's lots of shenanigans and adventures and battles and yeah, so, and then it's over. And Uhtred is really old. Now. I mean, for a Saxon warrior, he's got to be in his 60s now because he's been around for a long time. So, Good job. Thanks. Okay. Moving on.
1: How about you? I have three books. Oh, that's funny. I slogged my way through the latest John Grisham. Oh, he's still writing. <laughs> he's still writing. He's like Uhtred. And it's still he's going. still... And I know that whatever I'm about to say is not going to lose John Grisham any fans. He's going to be just fine with this criticism. So, this book is called The Guardians, and it is about a lawyer who is working to exonerate wrongly convicted prisoners. He belongs to a group, a law firm in the I think it's in Al- it's in like Alabama or Georgia. They're usually in the South. Right? Yeah. His books are usually in the South. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant. It's sort of related to the Innocence Project. You know, mm-hmm. they're really grassroots. They don't have a lot of money. They're very careful who they take on because there's a lot of people who say, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, but really it takes doing the work To make sure that they are and to make sure that they can prove it because in order to overturn these cases they have to have new evidence or the previous witnesses have to recount their testimony and it's hard to get somebody to say that they lied that part of it the main plot of this book is great it's interesting it is relevant it is important and John Grisham's writing, he's like a machine now. It's solid page-turnable reading. My chief criticism for this book is that his characters, his male characters, cannot not comment on a woman's looks Mm -hmm. ever. So every time a woman walks in the room, she's leggy or she's... Aren't we all? (laughs) Well... (laughs) We all have, for the most part, we have legs. But there's all of these Mm -hmm. comments on how she's a looker or it is never about her value, her humanity. It is so much about her looks. And I honestly, this is the first John Grisham I've read in 15 years. I don't know that it's the character who's Mm -hmm. noticing this, except if it is, then that needs to be indicated in some other way. You know, like he needs some awareness of that. His partners in the law firm are older women, and he does not comment on their looks at all. And so I'm offended on their behalf <laughs> that, you know what I mean? It's yeah. It definitely distracted from my reading of this book. That's hard for me to say because I often, if I don't like a book, I just pass it, pass on it. It goes back to the library or I tuck it away and, and mums the word. But I feel like this is irrelevant. Especially at this point in the game. Uh-huh. And he can take it. He can take my criticism. Yeah. Okay.
0: I'm sure he's listening to our
1: podcast. I'm sure he is, too. Hi, John. How's it going? Okay. So then I did some reading for Lim and Latitude. And I have started a book called The Dutch Maiden by Marenta de Moore which has won a bunch of awards. It's shortlisted for a bunch of prizes. It is about a 17 year old Dutch young woman who around the time of World War II, like late 1930s, is sent from the Netherlands to Germany to train with her father's old friend who is a fencer. And she's a fencer and so they're thinking, I don't know if they're thinking Olympics or what. So she is headed into Germany Right before World War Two. Like
0: August nineteen thirty nine yeah.
1: or I think it's nineteen thirty seven okay. is when it opens. It is not a fast read, but I want to hold fast with it because I think that it's gonna be a really interesting book. Yeah. So Oh, so you're still reading that one? I'm still reading that one. But the one that I Is that and is that she's Dutch. The she author is Dutch. Is Dutch. Okay. Dutch. Okay. Yeah. So. So the other one that I tore through in one night, that never happens to me wow. because for some reason my books are often a little longer reads for me. This one is called Midnight Blue. It's by Simone van der Luke. It is about the plague. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> kidding. It takes place towards the end. The plague is making a pass back through the Netherlands. Okay. Um, so 1600s? Yeah she should probably know this. 1654. Okay. It opens along the North Sea on the northern coast of the Netherlands. And the, the young woman is newly widowed and she makes her way by barges and ferries and canals, basically to Amsterdam, where she is trying to find a new life, you know, post-widowhood. Her employers there are... Shipping merchants, which is during this time in, du- in Dutch history. I mean, Dutch history is full of maritime yeah. achievement and trade and industry. And there's a million stories to be had there. And this merchant runs a shipping line that goes to China. And so in his home, he has two Chinese vases big vases on either side of the fireplace and they're his prized possessions and they're worth so much money and a lot of her entry into his household is like great great you can do whatever you want just like be really careful with these (laughs) vases and she has a she has painted on pottery in her hometown so she's sort of transfixed by this new thing as much of the netherlands were at that time she has an aptitude for painting and her employer's wife also thinks of herself as a painter and she's trying to improve and there's like she gets and then she starts a podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's the wife of the employer is apprenticed with an apprentice of Rembrandt. Oh. So they have this like fleeting, you know, they go visit Rembrandt at his studio and the house, this girl is the housekeeper and she goes along to carry the wine. And so she has this brief, which is, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah. And then she, like my princess parties. Exactly. She fixes a painting of the wife's on her own. And so she has to fess up to that because somebody wants, Somebody saw it and was like, wow, that's really great. I actually want to buy that. (laughs) And so she has to own up to that. And she has to flee Amsterdam because, well, there's other circumstances. But so she ends up in Delft, which is down the river. I drew a map of the Netherlands but did not include all of the canals and rivers. So I feel a little bit bereft that I don't know the geography as well as I should I think there's a lot of canals and rivers there thoughts. are um anyhow she ends up in delft with the shipping merchant's brother and he has a pottery factory there and she gets a job as a painter and she's really good so she's painting on his plates and now i love this part because she's a woman in the middle of 1650s and she's got a job as a painter and that uh, that speaks to me she also was really struck by those vases that were in her former employer's house and so she starts painting that motif on the plates in the factory and they start to fly off the shelves so part of this delft delftware history is starting to come through mm-hmm. and then vermeer is there he owns a you know a pub or a meeting house or something and so she gets to hang out with Vermeer a little bit and then the painter who it escapes me now who painted the goldfinch and she goes to his workshop and sees that there's a lot for me to love about this book <laughs> there's also a whole sort of romance and mystery happening that um, a lot going on yeah I have plus to say plague. plus the plague burns through in yeah. the end as it does um, it's a semi-romance. Yeah. It has a semi happy ending. If you don't count the plague part. Yeah. Um, and because it's so relevant to what I'm doing. Yeah. So cool. I have one hard Dutch book, one easy Dutch book. This is the easier one. Totally worthwhile. I love this project. I'm super happy about it. Fine. And remind me to listen to episode thirty two when I start to tire of it. Will do. <laughs> Make a note.
0: All right, Um, so our giveaway, I realized last time we didn't actually tell you what the hoodie looks like. We posted pictures and whatnot, but um, so it's pink. I guess it's officially lilac. It is officially lilac. There's a little hint of purple. I think of lilac as being very, very purple, but this has a lot of pink in it. Um, And then it's got, on the back, has our giant logo, and then there's a little logo on the front. It's got a hood. It's got a zipper. It's got pockets.
1: They are very roomy, I think.
0: I think they're unisex sizes, so, yeah, so not women's sizes. Right. So they're going to probably be a little bit bigger, and they don't have that same cut that you might expect.
1: Yes. Monica is on the petite side. I am on the larger side, and I wore the large sweatshirt, and it was plenty roomy for me, and I'm pretty chesty, if I do say so. You are. (laughs) I say so as well. Um, There's plenty of room for me to put layers underneath of that sweatshirt. Yeah they're really comfortable and soft and lofty and
0: so so if you want one we're currently running our giveaway so you can enter by commenting in the Ravelry thread in the Ravelry group which is you know on Ravelry so you have to sign up for that but we have all sorts of fun discussions getting started there as well or on the Instagram post for the last episode, I guess we could do it on this one too, and we'll just run them together. Sure. So um, just saying, you know, I want one. Nothing super complicated, and we'll do a random drawing on February sixth. So get your entries in before then. We'll do a, a drawing from the Instagram submissions and a drawing from the Ravelry submissions. And I think later we're gonna you're gonna do one. For Lemon Latitude. Yeah, so if you want, so you have two chances right now, and there'll be a third one if you send Courtney uh, a submission for her Lemon Latitude project. She'll have another drawing
1: there. I have to say the podcast listeners are on it because those are the ones that I've received first. I've gotten six back, I think, from the world, and they're all podcast listeners. You guys are the best. I know they are the best.
0: They are the best. And you said very nice things about us in your welcome and introduction uh, in the Rivalry Group. So thank you for that as well. It was nice to meet a few people. And we have a few new people as well that found us through the Rivalry Group and were like, hey, let me listen to the podcast now. So I thought that was fun. Uh, so welcome to you guys as well. And I think that's it for now. So get your entries in, comment in general on other things. There'll be an episode thread up in the Rav Group, or you can comment on the Instagram
1: post. And what you thought Go find the show notes for that recipe For the almond paste cookies Because oh they're really so good. <laughs> good
0: Really really good You should make those And so for now make sure to do something you love every day Thanks everyone Bye Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com You can find us on Instagram As craftcookreadrepeat Or Courtney SF. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N, and if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.